Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate Scott. He uh, got thrown into the fire this weekend. He's all, all over the place, but we appreciate um, that we can count on our team to fill in the gaps. And uh, are you guys excited to be here today? Awesome. I'm thankful for you to be here. For those of you that are new, I'm Joey. I'm the pastor here. And we want to just reaffirm that everyone matters to God. We believe that wholeheartedly. And we pray and hope that your time here is an encouragement to you. That we pray a lot about not just what we're going to do, but who's going to be here to share it with us. And so we're thankful that you chose to spend some time with us this morning. Um, just before we get into the message, I just want to uh, highlight a couple of things. We want to keep in prayer a few people. Um, it's awesome to have Jake back with us. Jake, our sound man, Jake Fayak. Um, he was out because he was exposed to COVID, and Chris Crenshaw's back, and uh, he had a bout with that, and God has brought him through that, and that's been amazing. We appreciate you praying for our church family, and, uh, and God, God answers prayer, amen? Amen, we believe that. Um, Fred and John, who are faithful, who come every week, they, uh, they're out because they had an exposure at work. And so when we want to keep them in prayer, we also want to lift up uh, the Moyer family, Chris and Katie Moyer. Katie's dad passed away this week. And so um, we, we want to remember them in prayer. They're not here today um, because between uh, helping uh, Chris's mom move and the funeral, I'm sure they're wiped out. So uh, we want to remember them. And as well, Pam, Pam's here today. We want to remember her because uh, her brother passed away and we had the funeral this week. So a lot of people to be praying for. This is one of the reasons why we do prayer night on Sunday nights. Uh, we have it off tonight, but we'll pick back up next week. Uh, there's just a lot of things to be praying for. A lot of people, a lot of needs, a lot of things going on in the world. And so we encourage you to join us for prayer. Uh, right now during our Sunday nights, we're also going through a, a study on uh, the prophetic ministry. And so that's pretty enlightening. So if you've been a part of that class and you ordered a work Book, make sure to stop by the connection table because your workbook is in. We also have a study guide book uh, for you to check out, which will turn back in at the end of the class. And so uh, we appreciate you and, and excited to see what God's going to do through the prophetic ministry. Also, in your worship guide, you should have a worksheet that has the topics we've been looking at over the course of this series, Identity Crisis, and many of the verses, scriptures that we have been discussing over the course of this series. So that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, and you're like, oh, that was a good Sunday. You can take it home, right? It's always good when you go to a meal that's really good that you have leftovers, right? That's what I look forward to, especially at Thanksgiving's coming up. Anybody already planning? The meal's great, but the leftovers are even greater, right? right? You love a hot turkey, but cold turkey, cold turkey sandwich, you know, that's amazing. Put some cranberry sauce on that, and you're in heaven. So this is the leftovers. This is for you to take home. And when you're battling with your identity, who you are as a child of God, you can refer to this and remember you're accepted. And know right where in the scripture you can go to see you're accepted by God. And that you're not just accepted, but you're also secure. That God's not going anywhere. And not just secure, but you're also significant. Because God is in you. And he's called you for a purpose. I love I love how the Spirit works because usually my wife hits all the points of my message in her prayer before I get up to speak. So we'll just kind of recap what she just prayed a few minutes ago. But today we're, we're kind of ending our series. This is the culmination of everything we've been talking about. Again, through this series, we discovered we're accepted, we're acceptable. God loves us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He works in us to bring us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's leading us somewhere. And that we're also secure in his love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen? Nothing can separate us from his grace because it's by his grace we're saved when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we're secure in his love and in his grace. And we are significant. We are unique. We talked last week about what it means to be a child of God. 
And not just in the here and now, but the inheritance that's coming for us one day. When Jesus returns and he brings everything under the will of the Father, when literally heaven comes to earth, and just as he prayed, on earth as it is in heaven, one day it will be on earth as it is in heaven. And we will receive an inheritance that that neither thief can steal, nor rust or moth can corrupt. It is an inheritance that is eternal for all time that we'll get to enjoy forever and ever and ever. And that makes us incredibly significant. But today, beloved, we're going to discover that we are powerful. You are powerful. See, we've covered ways the world and the enemy is coming against our identity as children of God. In our belief in who we are, we're not rejected. We're accepted. We're not unacceptable. In Jesus, we're acceptable. It is the gift, this salvation, this being born again, it is the gift that keeps on giving, not simply to forgive us of our sins or adopting us into the family of God, but elevating us to a standard of significance in this inheritance that we have. And so though we live now in this, what theologians call the now but not yet reality, there are things that are true now. There are promises we have that are true now. You're, you have a home in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's true. There's a home for you in heaven. But you haven't experienced that home yet because you haven't gotten to heaven. But one day you will. So your home is there, but the experience of that promise is coming in the future. That's the now but not yet. And there's many things in Scripture that fall under the now but not yet reality. Are we seated in heaven with Jesus? Yes, right now, but physically not yet. So there are spiritual realities that are true, and there are physical realities that we're waiting to be fulfilled at the return of Jesus Christ. So we live in this now but not yet reality. The fullness of what we will experience will happen one day. But right now, in the now, in the flesh, in this world, in this time that we find ourselves in, we are experiencing a snippet, or what Paul calls in Romans chapter 8, a foretaste of the future glory we are going to receive. So in the now, we get to experience glory, but it's not the fullness of it. It's, it's like back in the Old Testament where Moses asked God, God, show me your glory. I want, I want to know you so intimately. God, let me see your glory. And God says, if I show you my face, you'll die. So I'm just going to let you see my backside. So he hides him in the cleft of the rock till he walks on by. And then Moses gets to see him from the rear. Right now, we're getting a rear view. But one day, we'll get the full frontal. One day, we'll get to look in the face of God and not die, but glory and worship for all eternity. Let's get it on, Jesus. Come on. We're waiting. But right now, as we're waiting for future promises, God did not leave us here just to sit in church pews and twiddle our thumbs until that day. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul tells the church of Ephesus that God didn't just save us to sit that he has work for us to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's masterpiece. Somebody say masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Lord God, we thank you for your presence. God, I know you're here. I can sense you in the room. And God, we just ask you to open Hearts, open ears, open minds. God, give us ears to hear, a mind that can understand. Give us eyes to see and a heart ready to believe what you have for us today. Lord, if there's any of me in this message, get it out in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, your spirit would speak. And I pray, God, that today what binds the identity of the children of God would be broken in Jesus' name. And the sleeping giant would arise to find its place in the kingdom of God. Our world is in desperate need of a church alive. And our communities are dying because we're still sitting in pews. 
rather than fulfilling the work that you've planned for us long ago. So God, we ask for conviction, not condemnation from the enemy, but conviction that makes us move from where we are to where Jesus is, that we may join him in the work. And this we ask in Jesus' name. If you agree, all God's people said, amen. We good there when we call it? No, we got, you guys got an hour? We ready to go? We are God's masterpiece. He created everything you see. In six days, he created the cosmos, time, space, energy, the laws of physics, everything that holds all things together. The Bible says he holds everything together by the word of his command. And when he looks at man, he says, that's the best. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus, that is my crowning jewel of all creation, my masterpiece. Why? Because we are able to reflect the glory of the Son of God. Created anew in Christ. So we can do the things he planned for us long ago. You see, beloved, when, before God even created the, the cosmos, as he was planning what he was about to do, he knew through his great wisdom, the foreknowledge of God, he knew everyone that would turn to him in faith, that would turn to Jesus and place their faith and trust in him. And with that foreknowledge, he predestined those who would turn to Christ to not experience simply glory in a future kingdom, but to experience a divine destiny in the here and now, a life of significance as they live and breathe on this earth, awaiting for all things to be fulfilled. Every one of us who are a child of God, we have an assignment, a holy assignment from the Lord. In this present reality, in the kingdom of God right now, we have an assignment that is working toward the fulfillment of all things that God has promised. And there are many tasks within our assignment. We all have an individual assignment. God has led you. We just prayed before church today as we gathered with our team to pray. The psalm says, we may make our plans, but God orders our steps. So you can plan all you want, but it's God's divine hand that is working in and through your decisions, your, your successes, your failures, everything that you decide to do. He is weaving through those circumstances to get you to the place he needs you to be. And so God has led you here to this place. God has ordained this moment for you to hear this message in your life because he's ordered your steps. There are many tasks within our assignment. Some of us are called to be mothers. Some are called to be fathers. Some are called to be businessmen, politicians, teachers, law enforcement officers, first responders, soldiers in our armed forces, artists, entertainers, foster parents, volunteers, ministers, construction workers, doctors, lawyers. There are many events in our lives that take us different directions that we face. And no matter what occupation you're in, that's a part of the assignment God has for you in the here and now. But within those assignments, there is specific things God has for you. There's specific things to us individually or as a family. Many, many times we're called to an assignment that doesn't just affect us, it affects the whole family. If you have to travel across the country, move your family across country for a job, that's not just you. That's everyone in the unit that's called into that ministry. So there are specific things, and, and within those individual assignments, he has a general call for every child of God that is the driving force of each and every one of us in order to fulfill the assignment that he has before us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21, Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Somebody say ambassador. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. 
For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus on a singular mission to reconcile the world to himself. When he left, he passed that mission on to the church. Not only do we represent Jesus in the world, I, I love just like looking at verses line by line because we don't just represent him with how we live. It says we speak for him. We speak for him. When we plead to people, come back to God, we are speaking on behalf of God Almighty. When we share the gospel and invite people to turn to the Lord, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are speaking on behalf of the God of this world. Think about the awesome privilege it is to speak for God. But also the awesome responsibility to speak for God. We represent Jesus to the world. It's a common idea that we are the Bible the world is going to read before they even open and read the Bible. Beloved, it's through our lives the world gets to see what Jesus is really like. If people were going to gauge what Jesus was like by looking at your life, what would they think about Jesus? That hurts me. That hurts me. Because I know I don't measure up. And frankly, the church historically hasn't represented Jesus very well. I think it's Gandhi who said, I love your Jesus, but I can't stand his followers. And I meet people all the time who've been hurt and burnt by churches and church people. This last weekend, I performed a wedding for a couple in a community, and they had reached out to several churches in the area, but the pastors wouldn't marry them because they had lived together previously. And they contacted Community Church of God, and Pastor Ryan agreed to do their ceremony. But uh, after they got done with the marriage counseling portion of it, they, uh, he realized that he had a conference he was pre-scheduled to, so he couldn't do the, the ceremony. So he asked me if I would fill in for him. And I love how we have these friendships and partnerships in our community with other churches. The unity in this city is unlike anything I've ever experienced in, in many of the churches. But what breaks my heart is how many churches did they have to call before someone decided to help them out of their sin? Why in the world would you take people who want to get their life right and prevent them from doing it. There have been people that have been hurt by churches and by church people who are supposed to represent Jesus. What did Jesus do to the woman caught in adultery? I'm not going to condemn you. Get up and don't do it anymore. Be who you're meant to be in Christ Jesus. It's an awesome privilege to speak for God, but it's also a huge responsibility. I heard a pastor once say that if the church has the authority to bind and loose, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are the ramifications of how the church is praying in what we see in the world? Are we praying condemnation and judgment? Are we praying freedom and healing? What do we see more in the world? You see, we have a mission. And the more we accomplish our mission to reach every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue with the message of Christ, Paul tells us in Romans, the sooner Jesus is going to come back. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when every person that will turn to Christ has said yes to the Lord, the trumpet's going to sound, beloved. So, so it's not just we're out here telling people we have a mission because we have a goal. 
And Jesus is waiting for his church to arise to meet the, the, the moment of the day. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is the great commission. It's co-mission. Whose mission is it? Jesus's. Why is it co-mission? Because we are co-missioned with Christ. We are co-laborers. We are co-heirs. We're in it together with the Lord. And here's what he said before he ascended into heaven. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Somebody say Go. That's not to an organization or to people who are called to be pastors. That's to every person who calls on the name of Christ. Therefore, go and do what? Do, do what, beloved? Go and make disciples of all nations. That means all people groups. Not just white people. Not just black people. Not just those that make you comfortable or those that dress like you or you fit in well with. It's all people. And guess what? He says to you, go. Go and do it. Go. Preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And get this. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. It's co-mission. We're not doing it alone. He is doing it with us. If we're doing it. See, we're not simply just to tell them about Jesus. We're to lead them to him. Go get them. Leave your building, your Sunday service. Go to your assignment. Find them. Tell them. And bring them back with you. Go get them. And then once you got them, show them how to do it. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Don't take them to the pastor so he can show them. You show them. You show them how to do it. You show them how to be faithful. You show them how to live right. You show them how to pray. You show them how to lay hands on the sick and in the name of Jesus let them be healed. You show them how to cast out demons. You show them how to prophesy. You show them how to walk with the Holy Spirit. You do it. We don't just tell them. Beloved, this is who we are as children of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador of America do? He goes and represents the government of the nation to a foreign entity and brokers deals between nations. He represents the authority of America, and we are God's ambassadors, which means we represent the authority of the kingdom of God. That's who we are. Not in the future, in the here and now. But there are a few things coming against this divine call that we have. And one of the things coming against us in this day and age is distraction. It's distraction. 2 Timothy 2.4, and, and hear my heart. I know I'm coming off strong, but this is raw passion. Because this is convicting me. In 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul tells Timothy, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for they cannot please the officer who enlists them. Think about what Paul is telling Timothy. A soldier stationed overseas, he's not in his home territory. He's in a foreign land. He has a place, he has a position, he has an assignment from his superior officer. When he's expected to be there, he is to be there. Until they call him and let him go, whatever they're going to do. They must never forget their mission, their orders, or there is no hope for success. A soldier must always be on the ready to act and respond always be in submission to their, the orders they are given. If a soldier stops holding fast to their orders, to their mission, or gets intertwined with the locals and in the local culture, and they get too comfortable, and they stop showing up for duty, then they un may even unintentionally abandon their post. They leave everyone and everything else vulnerable to attack. They leave the mission vulnerable to failure. When a soldier doesn't show up to their post, this is what's called AWOL. Absent without official leave. 
The official definition says, absent without official leave, but without intent to desert. So you might not be in your heart as a soldier wanting to desert the military. You've just gotten so lax and comfortable that you're shirking your responsibilities and just aren't where you're supposed to be. What Paul is encouraging Timothy, he's saying, stay on mission. Remember who is the one commissioning you so you don't become spiritually AWOL. You're not found where you're not supposed to be. You're not leaving your brothers in arms vulnerable. You're not leaving the mission up for failure. And I'm afraid, beloved, if we look at the church as a whole at large today across the world and we look at the state of the world and what our mission is, in my heart of hearts, I believe there are many believers who are found AWOL today. You're not intentionally deserting Christ, but you're definitely not serving him. You're not on mission. You're not on assignment. You have forgotten who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus, in the parable of the seeds, he talks about people like this. In Mark 4, 18 through 20, he says, the seed that fell on among thorns, he talks about three different kinds of seed. The farmer throws seed into the ground and it lands on three or four different types of soil. And he gives the interpretation of what each mean. And the seed that fell among thorns, he said, represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. The juxtaposition is between the thorny soil and the good soil. The good soil takes root, the seed germinates, it produces a crop, and it produces much fruit. But the seed that lands on thorny soil is choked out and it doesn't produce anything. Both received seed, but only one produced fruit. The distractions and the enticements of the world are choking out our identity. Notice it's not just financial worries or the love of money that chokes out the seed of God's word in this soil. It's also simply the desire for other things. What other things in your life are taking your time, your priorities, your investment, and your attention away from who God's called you to be? What's robbing you of producing spiritual fruit? There are a lot of distractions that have caused many of us to lose sight of who we are. We get caught up in this stuff every day. It's so easy. We lose the fact that we have a mission, we have an assignment, and a divine destiny. Sometimes because we've let other things label our lives other than being a child of God. We talked about this through the series. What labels are you carrying? Some of us wake up and our label is whatever we do for a living. So what do I do when I wake up? I live for success. And when I punch out, I live for ease because I'm not at work. And where's God in the mix? Where's Jesus? Where's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? It's so easy to do. A few years ago, I worked at Mott Community College in the Workforce Education Center. And, uh, and when we planted this church, it was, it was kind of a, a weird time for us in, the, in between leaving the last ministry we were in and, and starting Vertical Life Church. I had to find a new job because I was working as a full-time music director at a church here in the area. And so I, through a connection, a mutual friend, I was able to get hired on at Mott and work there for um, a couple years and uh, at some, a few years ago, just before COVID hit, the uh, elders of our church thought it would be uh, good if I came on as a full-time pastor rather than bivocational pastor. Unfortunately, the package they offered me was a few hundred dollars less than what I was making. So uh, even though we felt like God was leading us to, to go full-time, I still had to find a part-time job to supplement in order for us to meet our financial need. And so um, we, I resigned from Mott and um, was uh, full-time, quote-unquote, and uh, was out now looking for a part-time job. And what was awesome about this time is I actually found two jobs at once. 
never had this problem before where I got hired at two different places at one time. I got hired at Menards here in Clio. Uh, and then I also got hired for a rehab and mobility company that specializes in, in specialty uh, equipment for handicapped people and, and uh, things like that. And I got hired to do construction and build ramps and stuff for, for wheelchairs and whatnot. And, uh, and so now I, I had three jobs. I was working at, at both, and, and I worked both of those part-time jobs for a while because I had this unusual opportunity to pick which one I liked more. And they both had paid about the same. And so I was like, well, my main income's already taken care of, so this is just like the extra that I need. So I'll work both of these jobs, and the one I decide I like the best, I'll just quit the other one, and, and we'll be all good. And the rehab and mobility place offered me more money so that I would work there more, and that made my decision rather quick, right? So I, I got out of uh, Menards uh, after a couple months and started working there. But what, what I, I loved looking back at this time, I loved working at both of those places, Menards and rehab, because I didn't feel like I was actually going there to work. I felt like I was going there to help. And the reason why is because the security in my financial portfolio was covered by the ministry. So if I got fired or laid off or, or they didn't need me anymore, it wouldn't be that detrimental to our bottom line. I'd just go find another part-time job. And, and so I went to work. I, I did everything I was paid to do. But I didn't go there as an employee trying to climb the corporate ladder or, or, or improve my situation there. I went to minister to people because that's what I'm called to do as a child of God. And so I, I went and I talked freely. I got a chance to pray with several people. got to see God do some awesome things. I, there's an older gentleman there that kept coming to me and pulling me into his office to pray for him anytime he had kind of a health issue going on. It was, it was kind of cool how we developed that kind of relationship and was able to talk to some of the owners about Christ and, and share my faith with them. And, and I just love that because I wasn't afraid at all to be bold in my job. I wasn't afraid for people to see me praying for other people or talking about Jesus. Why? Because if I lost the job, it didn't matter. I just get another job. And I feel like, as it pertains to this Christian life, the reason why we have so many distractions is because we're not finding our security in who we are as children of God. We're finding our security in other things. And so the pull of those things dominate who we are. Imagine the freedom we would have as believers if we believed the song we just sang, which comes out of Matthew, which we're going to read here in just a moment. Matthew 6.30 says, If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. We just sang that. What if we really believed that? Would it matter if our boss saw us praying for somebody in the lunchroom or in the lobby? Would it matter if we fulfilled our calling at our place of work or at Walmart? Would it matter what people thought of us when we were holding up the line because the cashier needed Jesus in that moment? Would it matter as much? No, why? Because our security is not in our paycheck. Our security is not in what other people think of us. Our security is in the one who saved our soul. And did you catch it? Did you notice? The worries about provision is what dominates the mind of who? Unbelievers. The worry about where your sustenance is going to come from, where your provision is going to come from, doesn't come from children of God. 
It comes from unbelievers. It dominates the mind of unbelievers. Why? Because the creator of heaven and earth is not watching over them like he's watching over the children of God. God has promised, seek the kingdom of God first above all else. Live righteously and you'll have everything you need. He'll provide everything. Well, well, what, what if I get reprimanded at work and they tell me they're going to fire me if I do that again? Won't God provide you another job? Isn't it up to him to determine what your assignment is? If you lose your job, guess what? You didn't need that job. And the one you need is right around the corner because you're seeking God first and living righteously. Well, what about my bills? What about, you know, all the money that I have going out? Is God not your provider? If he cares for the lilies and arrays them even more splendid than Solomon was arrayed in all of his fine treasures and beauty, won't he care for you? Where is our faith? If we could grow in this understanding of who we are as children of God and believe his promises to us, it'll be so much easier to let go of the attachments and the distractions we have in the world. Beloved, this world is passing away and everything in it, nothing is gonna last forever. You realize that? Nothing's gonna last. When you die, doesn't matter how many overtime hours you put in. When you're with Jesus for all eternity, is it gonna matter that your boss got mad at you your second year? We have, need a perspective shift. We have such a little time to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives to get distracted in civilian life. Beloved, we have been saved for significance. All that matters in this life is what we do for Jesus Christ. That's it. That we fulfill our calling. We work our assignment. We're faithful in what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be because that's what's gonna live for eternity. When Jesus rewards us when we stand before him, I mean, th think about it. When we stand before God, there's two judgments in, in, in prophecy. There's the judgment of Christ, which I'm glad I'm going to. And then there's the great white throne before the Father. You know when you're called, when the Father calls you in to face him, the belt is coming off, right? He, you know that when dad's like, go upstairs and wait in your room. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. And the worst part is waiting. Waiting. And then when he comes in, he gets real bad. But when we stand before Jesus, he's not going to, we don't stand to account for the bad things we've done. We stand to be rewarded for the good things that we've done. And Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where nothing can corrupt it. Crowns of glory. The things that Christ is going to give us. That's what really matters. Beloved, people are not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you to them. And we have too many distractions and excuses that we're using to defend the fact that really we're relying on other things to give us security than the God of this world. And it causes us to get lost in civilian life. This is a mindset issue. Soldiers of Christ are getting lost in the crowd and too many believers are AWOL in the kingdom. And I believe we're living in a day where God's saying, it's time to return to your post. It's time. The second thing that's coming against us, it's been one of the enemy's major plans of attack, is really religion. We all struggle with religion. If you've grown up in the church, you struggle with religion. A spirit of religion has crept in the Christian church. If you go back in church history, you can see the, the moment this became really a dominant force when the true faith was hijacked by Rome and they institutionalized the Christian faith. And we've been struggling with that ever since. Even the groups that broke off of the Catholic church that, that reformed things like the Lutheran, the Episcopal, all the Protestant organizations, they still are steeped in heavy religious mindsets. 
There are other groups that were formed outside of the Catholic Church that were independent are still, they developed their own belief systems and practices they used to weigh against all other groups and are steeped in religion. Matter of fact, right now, last statistics I've seen from 2010, there are over 33,000 plus Christian denominations in the world. And that was 11 years ago. Why is that? Because... People are forming groups thinking they know how to do it better, and they're pinning themselves against everybody else. No, our way's the right way. No, our way's the right way. No, our way's the right way. And so we have this fighting amongst the body of Christ, but also we have this ingrained uh, belief system that we've got it figured out. This is the right way to do it, and anything that challenges that is shunned and not accepted. The spirit of religion is alive and well. And one of the ways he works against our identity in Jesus Christ is to get us focused on stuff that doesn't matter in the name of doing something good. When I grew, was growing up in the church, man, people thought that hell was freezing over when drums first arrived in the auditorium. My goodness. Well, we, we, we had to plead with the pastor to get our own youth service on Sunday nights. We finally did. It was in another building, but because a parent walked by and could hear loud music, we got in trouble. God's presence has thunder and lightning. You think he has a problem with volume? Seriously. Read Psalm 150. There are drums in there. Well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, but Jesus seemed to think it was pretty important. He kind of fulfilled the whole thing, right? One of the most obscure stories in the Bible, this, this just like, when God revealed this to me this week, man, I was like, how did I miss this all these years? One of the most obscure stories is, there's only two stories that are told about Jesus when he was a kid. His birth and the time his parents lost him in Jerusalem. I want you to see something in Luke 2, 41 through 44. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started a home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was with among other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Verse 49, it says, by... They finally find him, and they're talking with him. And Jesus says, why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Other translations will see, say, about my father's business. But they didn't understand what he meant. Think about this story. The Passover was one of Israel's highest holy day feasts. They would come from all over, many countries, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. Mary and Joseph were going to fulfill their religious duty that was required by the law that they did every year. In the process of worshiping God, fulfilling their religious duty, they lose Jesus. They don't even recognize he's not there. Until they discover he didn't show up when they expected him to. How many churches? Week after week. Year after year. Are just going through the motion. Expecting Jesus to be where they think he's supposed to be. Only to find out he's not even there. And then you start wondering when your church is about to close and everyone is 90 years and older. Where's God? He's about his father's business. Matthew 25, 35 through 40, Jesus gives a parable about reward in heaven. And he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty 
and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Notice none of the places they found Jesus or where Jesus was found in this parable was in a church building doing religious duty. We know the scripture says when two or more gathered in his name, he's there. We know Christ is here with us today because we've gathered in his name. But the principle is this. If you don't love the people Jesus loves, you can't be loving Jesus at the same time. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You cannot love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love other people the way you love yourself. Visiting the sick or the imprisoned or clothing the naked, serving the thirsty, these aren't commands that must be followed. They're evidences of a heart filled with the compassion and love of God. You can't love God with all your heart if you don't love people the way you love yourself. And beloved, if we look at our lives and we look at all this stuff we struggle with, this is why we can't do this alone. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. In Acts 1.8, he's looking at his disciples that have followed him for three plus years. They've seen him work miracles. They've even been given a measure of authority to do little tasks that Jesus sent them out to do. And here he's getting ready to go to his father and leave them to do the work, to fulfill the commissioned mission. And here he says in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, religious people can do a lot of good things, but there's something religion can never reproduce that is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul told Timothy that there will be people who act religious but deny the power that can make them godly. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit is the ingredient that makes the transformation from old to new. From what you were to who God has called you to be, it unlocks the benefits that come with being a child of God, the power to make you godly. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, and these are people that knew Jesus, he's saying there's a missing ingredient in your life. And it's the very thing that's going to empower you for the mission I have for you. That's going to give you what you need to accomplish that which I have put before you. It's the power and anointing of the Spirit in your life. You see, Jesus didn't baptize with water. We baptize with water. Jesus baptizes with fire and the Holy Spirit. He baptizes with power. When the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were transformed and the spiritual gifts came alive, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing. It became a normal part of their lives in their gatherings because that's what they needed to be built up and strengthened for the work that God had for them. This is why we're commanded by Paul in 1 Corinthians to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit in Galatians to be filled to the overflow, like being intoxicated with wine by the Spirit in the book of Ephesians, that the Spirit would occupy the totality of our lives. And when he does, we're assured miracles are going to happen. John 14, 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. There are things in your assignment you can't accomplish by being a good person or religious. You need the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be flowing in the Spirit. You need to be walking in the Spirit. You need to know His voice. You need to know when He's saying go left or go right. You need to know when He's saying go forward or stop. You need to be so connected with the Spirit that, that you and God, your thought process is almost one and the same. Because of what we're doing is of such significance, we can't get lost in civilian life. There is a special anointing on the child of God 
It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, baptism into his power and love. And this is what makes faith real. This is really what I struggled with with so many years. And sometimes I even do to a degree. It creeps back up every once in a while. But there was a time in my life where I was devoted to God. I was in the ministry. I was serving God. I was doing all the things that I was taught and demonstrated to do. But deep down, I thought, if this is all there is, I'm not sure. There's got to be something more because I'm killing myself trying to fix myself and it's not working. And then the Holy Spirit touched me. And my faith was no longer an idea. It was real. I could hear God's voice in a way I've never heard before. Visions and dreams. Laying my hands on the sick and actually seeing them healed. Prophesying and things coming true. The things you read in the Bible. This is one of the most incredible things. And this isn't to brag. I'm just saying this is what God has for, what do you say? Anyone who believes will do the same work. It's for all of us. I went from reading it on the page of the scripture to experiencing it in my everyday life. That makes a difference. It makes a difference. We are given the spirit to be filled so we can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ so other people can encounter Christ through your life. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. There is a power in you if you're a child of God. The problem with believers is not the power that's in us, it's letting the power come out of us. Letting out what God has put in. As a child of God, you are powerful because there is a power in you that God is going to use to do beyond what you can ask or think in your life. And what is that power? It is the Holy Spirit of God. It's the game changer for the disciples. These disciples, they were in the upper room praying, waiting on the Lord just as he promised, but they were in fear for their life because their, their master would just, was just killed. Now they're being persecuted, and they're waiting for the, the coming of the Spirit, this promise. And we go from Peter denying Jesus three times, Thomas doubting, unless I see him for myself and put my hands in his side and in his scars, I'm not going to believe. And here they're racked with doubt. They're racked with fear. Jesus has gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes and they get filled to the overflow. They bust out of that room with the mighty rushing wind. They begin speaking in tongues and the whole, the whole city comes out to see what's going on. You think they're running for their lives? No. They're laughing, laughing, falling over. They're, they're just uproaring with what God is doing. People think they're drunk and, it, and Peter even had to say it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk. It's too early for that. You know, it's just hilarious. You read that in the scripture. But they're, they're overcome with the presence of God. And then Peter, who denied Jesus three times, stands before the crowd and declares the works of God. And 3,000 people become believers in a single day. The difference maker is the Holy Spirit. At the end of the book of Acts, when you read it, Paul comes across these disciples who have been disciples of Christ now. They were John's disciples. Now they're disciples of Christ for like 30 years and he asks them a simple question. He says, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And he says, well, let me introduce you. He lays hands on them, and they get filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, and their lives are dramatically transformed. 1 Corinthians 14, 21, Paul says, it is written in the Scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages, through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is the benefit for believers, not unbelievers. When the disciples spoke in tongues for the first time, it was before a whole host of Jews who believed God, knew his promises, but didn't believe in Jesus Christ. When the tongues were spoken, it was a sign to them that God's promises were now being fulfilled. Some of you need an encounter with the Spirit. 
so that you can see the sign and encounter the sign that takes you from wondering about his promises to knowing his promises. You need to be filled. Your faith needs to be made real. But then there's that religion that gets in the way. Oh, that's speaking in tongue stuff. That sounds weird. Yeah. From an unbeliever's point of view, it does. But from a believer's point of view who's encountered it, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Anyone here need to be strengthened? It's from God, and it's a gift to build up your most holy faith. It's given to strengthen you, to move your faith from concept to reality. When I first began to speak in tongues, I was amazed that when I prayed, I actually felt like in the spirit, I was accomplishing more with words I couldn't understand than trying to come up with words I could figure out for myself. The gift is to build greater faith, to grow in your connection to the Lord. But you know, even when pursuing the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, we can pursue it from a wrong place. We can hear all the stories and we can hear, oh man, wasn't that testimony amazing? And we can want that for ourselves, but not really want it because we're wanting the one who gives the gift. We can want the gift so that we have a cool story to tell. There's a man in Acts chapter 8 named Simon the Sorcerer. This was his, his issue when Simon saw Philip See, the thing about Simon the sorcerer, he was well-known. He was very powerful with dark magic. People feared him. But Philip came preaching Jesus, and the light, went, light bulb went on, and he's like, oh, his power is greater. So I'm going to start following Philip. So Simon was saved and baptized and was following Philip, being discipled for Christ. And, and then Peter uh, comes with another disciple, and, and they begin laying hands on the new believers, and they begin being filled with the Spirit, and, and everything is like being reproduced that happened with the earlier disciples. It was a great moment. And in verse 18 of Acts 8, it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart's not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Verse 24, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, but these terrible things won't happen to me that you said. He offers Peter money. So again, he was saved. He got baptized. But when it came to the Holy Spirit, he couldn't participate. Why? Because he really wasn't in it for Jesus. He was in it for himself. And Peter says, you can't buy this gift. Why? It's God's grace. You receive it by faith. You can't have any part of this because you're still trying to earn God's favor. You see, this is what religion does. It makes us try to earn the gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't buy God off. You see, Simon's whole life was this contractual agreement. People came to him for blessings or cursing, and they had to pay him to receive it. So when it came to the Holy Spirit, what's he do? He goes and he offers money because in his mind, that's what he thinks has to happen. And Peter's like, no, go pray to God. Maybe he'll forgive you. And isn't it awesome that when you ask God's forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness? He is such a forgiving God. But what's Simon say? You pray for me. I'm not interested in a personal relationship with God. I want to hold to my religion. Is there a way I can get this gift without really giving God my heart? No, there's not. You don't come to God with hands full. You come with hands empty and complete surrender. You see, some believers you've pursued growing in the Lord. You pursued God through your baptism, through religious work. 
You're trying to appease conscience by doing good things and being a good person, by being worthy of God's blessing. But you can't get God's blessing by being good because, beloved, there is none righteous, no, not one. God's blessing and the gift of the Spirit come from a heart that turns to the Lord. In Psalm 51, it says, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. If you want to go deeper with God, you want your faith to become reality, you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to have the power to fulfill your assignment, your heart is in a place where you're saying, God, I'm tired of, uh, there's got to be something more. I'm tired of just beating my head against the wall, feeling feeling like I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe you've, never encountered the presence of God. You've never been filled with the Spirit and baptized with the Spirit. God wants to give you that gift. And how do you get it? Jesus said, ask. You ask. You believe in faith. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. You come before Him and say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm just thankful Jesus is worthy. And I'm giving you my heart and my life. Whatever you want to do, my hands are empty. You fill them up. My, my heart is, is clean. You fill it, fill it up. You fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to do what you've called me to do before the foundation of the world. And I believe that God is going to touch some people here today. And it's going to be awesome. Well, what if I start speaking in tongues? We'll celebrate with you. Well, what if they're praying for me and, and I do that thing where people just fall down at random? We'll catch you. And we'll thank Jesus. Well, what if something weird happens? That's awesome because when God moves, it's weird. Why? Because it's supernatural, not natural. It's time to get out of civilian life. It's time to wake up to who we are in Christ. It's time to let go of religion and works and all the stuff Jesus died to settle before God. And it's time to come before him with an open heart and say, God, fill me to the overflow. Fill me with your spirit. I'm living for you. I'm walking my assignment out. I'm going to enter this mission and I'm going to give my life to you. Wherever you want to take me, take me. Wherever you lead me, lead me. Whoever you want me to speak to, you have my voice. Whoever you want me to serve, you have my hands. Wherever you want me to go, you have my feet. I am yours and yours alone. It's time. It's time. It's time to give God the worship he deserves. It's time to rise as the children of God. If you're a child of God in this place, Put your hand over your heart and repeat after me. I am powerful because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am powerful. I can do all things because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Like you mean it, I am powerful. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let's stand to our feet, beloved. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're about to do. Thank you that the sleeping giant is arising for this time, this day. God, thank you for such a time as this. You are calling us out. God, thank you. You are pouring out your spirit. God, I thank you for those you're going to touch right now. It's going to be a game changer. God, thank you for those who are going from I think it's true to I know it's true. God, I thank you for what you're about to do, Lord Jesus. God, as we worship, as we praise, draw, fear, go in Jesus' name. Hesitation, get out of here in Jesus' name. God, send your spirit. Let boldness fall upon us. A fresh anointing of boldness in Jesus' name. We're your children. And we thank you for what you've done. For the blood that has brought our healing and the body 
that restores fellowship with you. We proclaim Christ's death until you come because it's in his death that we have life forevermore. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. We just invite you, God's speaking to your heart. You wanna go deeper with God. You wanna be filled with the spirit. You come right now, don't wait. Run down the aisle, don't wait. Don't let religion get a hold of your heart. Don't let hesitation get a hold of your heart. Don't let fear stop you. You come right now and we'll lay hands on you and pray. If you want a fresh anointing, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. You've been filled with the spirit, but you've just been feeling like a desert in your spiritual life. You come and we'll pray for a fresh anointing. If you need healing in your body, we'll pray that you receive healing. Whatever God is speaking to your heart, you come. If you've been dealing with oppression, there is a darkness in your life. Jesus came to set the captive free. You come. church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.